0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. Uh, we are in a series entitled, We Can't Stay Here. And we're looking at the life of Joshua to pull out some principles from his experience to apply to our life. And, and, and I love this uh, idea of we can't stay here because as a church, we, we can't become complacent in our faith. We can't just be satisfied with where we're at and our own level of maturity, you know, spiritually speaking. That we, we believe that God wants us to grow. We believe that God wants to do more in our church. We believe that, that God wants to do more in our city. And so there are more people that need Jesus in our city. So that means that there is more work that we have to do as we pursue them and as we uh, encourage them to understand who Jesus is in their life. And so uh, I don't know, I usually don't do this, but I really love the logo for this sermon series. I don't know if you guys have really studied the the, the logo yet, but in the background of the logo is a map. And so the map is of uh, our city, of Knoxville, surrounding areas, and uh, in the very center is an arrow. And that arrow represents you, it represents me. And at the very center of that arrow is this little squiggly line. It's a heartbeat, you know, just like you would see on a, on a heart monitor, you an EKG or whatever. And uh, that, that heartbeat represents the, the very heartbeat of the vision that God has given to us to make disciples. And so as you are the arrow with the heartbeat of making disciples, we every single week are, you know, shooting you into your workplace, into your neighborhoods, into whatever environment, you know, you are living your life with the heartbeat of making disciples at the very center all over the city, all over the surrounding areas. And I love this mentality. As a church, we are in a very unique season. God is, is growing us and, and God is doing great things, but he's not finished And we see beside us this huge space that we're building. And we are building this space for people who are not here yet. We're creating space for people who don't know Jesus. And so as we looked last week at Joshua chapter 1, we saw that for, for Joshua, the vision that God had given to him It was to lead the people across the Jordan River and to take the land that God had promised his people. They were homeless, they had never had a land and God is promising them this land but they have to go and and take the land. They've gotta cross the river, they've gotta go. God said, arise and go. I read Matthew 28 where Jesus says for you and I that you and I have to go. We have to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so last week, we can't stay here because God said go. Today, we can't stay here because people need Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Joshua chapter two. And as you turn there, I wanna remind you of a few things that the scripture teaches us that it is destined for man to die once and after that, to face the judgment. So this life is our one shot. This isn't a dress rehearsal, this is our one chance, this is our shot to live for God. And people in our city who don't know Jesus, they need Jesus because they need a savior. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus says, you know, I'm the way, the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you the abundant life. But what do we do? We just go our own way. We do our own thing. And the Bible calls that sin. And because of sin in our life, we don't live up to the standards and the expectation that God has given to us as his creation. Therefore, our relationship with him has been separated. And apart from restoring that relationship, when we die and when we face that judgment, God will punish us for not living up to his standards, and we will suffer that punishment for an eternity in a place called hell. But because of his grace, God provides a way to restore that relationship, and so he sends his son Jesus to live a perfect life, and he dies on the cross as a a sacrifice for our sins. And so he he endured the punishment that you and I deserved. and, And he died and he was raised from the grave. And so the scripture teaches us that if we put our faith in Jesus, he will forgive us of our sins and restore that relationship with God, promising us the gift of eternal life. You see, that is the gospel and people need the gospel. People need Jesus. Apart from saving faith, In Jesus Christ, people will die and spend an eternity separated from him in hell. People need Jesus. That's why we can't stay here. I believe that God has given every single person in this room a purpose. He has a ministry that he wants you to serve in. He has gifted you in ways. Your job is to discover those gifts and to serve him in whatever ways he's calling you to serve. As we look at this chapter today, we, we see last week, we can't stay here because God says go. Today, we can't stay here because people need Jesus. And I wanna ask you a question today. What are you willing to do to help people find Jesus? What are you willing to do in order to see people who are broken find healing in Jesus? We live in a broken world, right? I mean, everywhere around us, we see broken families, broken marriages, broken relationships, broken hearts, broken promises. Because of sin, we are hurting and living in brokenness. And some of you come in here today and that that weight of brokenness is upon your shoulders today. You're feeling it. Relationally, spiritually, there's sin in your life and you are broken. But the gospel teaches us that Jesus Christ and faith in him restores that brokenness in our life. He completes us, he makes us whole. He restores our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So what are you willing to do, church, to help people who are broken find Jesus? What would it look like in your life to truly get behind the vision here at Foothills Church to make disciples? What does it look like for you to actually buy into this vision in such a way that you change your priorities? What does it look like in your life for you to change the way that you spend your time? What does it look like in your life to actually begin to give financially to this vision and begin to change how you spend money? These are big questions, and I want you to wrestle with these questions today as we look at chapter 2 and we look at this next part of this incredible story, one of my most favorite parts of the entire Bible today. This story is incredible. Let's look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says in Joshua, son of Nun." sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now let's just pause for a minute. Leave your Bibles open. We're gonna cover this chapter. But for Joshua, the vision was to take the people of Israel across the land and, and, and give them a home. Take a new land and, 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 and enjoy the promised land that God uh, had promised to them many years before. And so before they just jump into this and before they actually begin to wage war, Joshua sends some spies out to do a little reconnaissance mission. He's trying to you know, get a feel for the lay of the land. What's the vibe? What are people talking about? You know, what do what their you know, armies look like? And, and so he sends two spies over there. Now, why does he do this? Because when God gives us a vision, when God is calling us to do something like make disciples, it takes strategy. So vision requires strategy. And so for Joshua, he's, he's beginning to get a lay of the land here. And he's formulating his plan for how he's going to do this. He said, the difference between a dream and a vision is strategy. And so for some of you, you know, you've got no plan to serve God. You've got no strategy to fulfill the mission of making disciples, you've got no plan to actually do what God is calling you to do. You think it's church, so what do I got to do? I just got to show up, right? Sing a few songs. That's what church is. Wrong. Some of you are like, okay, I want to do ministry. I want to get involved. And so I want to start this or be involved in this. And I mean, it's ministry, right? You just got to show up and do it. Wrong. Who's going to lead it? Who's going to recruit for it? How are we going to fund it? How are we going to hold people accountable to actually do it? Who's going to take over when you get tired and burnt out and don't want to do it anymore? Like, there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of strategy behind ministry. We don't just show up on Sunday morning and, and, and do this. There's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of planning. And, and I'm telling you, if you're going to be a faithful steward of the resources and of the gifts that God has given to you, you've got to come up with a plan. Listen, I know you don't have time to serve God. I don't have time either. I got four kids. They're all involved in some kind of sport. My wife works full time. I don't have time to do anything other than the things that I think are important because we always find time for the things that we, we value and we think are important. And so we carve out time. We've got a plan. We've got a strategy for how we're gonna serve, for how we're gonna be involved in small group. You're never gonna be involved in small group if, if your excuse is I don't have time for it because you're never gonna have time for that. You're never going to have time to take your students on Wednesday night so that they're getting connected in small groups and being involved in our student. You're, you're never going to do that unless you've got a plan, unless you've strategized how we're going to do this. You're never going to give to this church and be a faithful steward of the money that God has given to you. He's going to hold you accountable for it one day. And, and, and you're never going to change until you actually think about it and you start making a plan. You don't just spend 110% of what you make and just go on and think that that's okay Like you've gotta have a plan. Vision requires strategy. Joshua understands this. You need a plan. You need a plan in order to do ministry, in order to give financially. I encourage you to do that. The second thing that we see here is, is that God goes before the vision goes. This is what's encouraging to me. Like God is way out in front. God goes before the vision goes. He's, right now he's preparing people. He's preparing the way for us. And all we have to do is take this next step. We always want to go to step 200. I want that, God. Give me all that stuff out there. And he's like, dude, you got to take the next step. Like, I'm going to get you there, but you've got to go here, right? You got to take this simple step. And, and that's what we see happening here. Let's read the next section here, verses 2 through 7. It says, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So here's what here's what's happening here. Joshua needs a strategy. He sends spies. They they come to this city and they they come to this woman named Rahab. She's the prostitute it's probably a, you know, a safe place for us to hide out because people are gonna see strangers coming into a prostitute's house. Not gonna be a big deal. They're not gonna think about it, but we're not dealing with 007 James Bond type spies. We're dealing with Austin Powers type spies. And so not too effective, right? So they go here and the king finds out. Now they're not going there for anything sexual, uh, but the actual Hebrew words clarify that. And, 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 and it really, really shows that they really were just hiding. This was a, a strategic place for them to hide. But the king finds out and the king sends men over to her house and, like, hey, we know guys are there. They're, they're spying out the land, send them out to us. And Rahab gives this Oscar, you know, nominee performance act right here. She's like, yeah, they came, but they've already left. I don't know where they're going, but I bet if you hurry, you could go find them. So go, 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 go. And they jump up and they go. They don't even search her house. Great job. She did a great job, right? What's happening here? Oh, what's really going on here? Why does this woman do this? Well, I think it's because God has prepared her. God has, has, has been preparing her heart for this moment. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 18, Moses tells Joshua something that be, begins to come into fruition here in this story. Moses says this, "'The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. "'He will never leave you nor forsake you. "'Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged.'" So it's in this moment where where the spies and Joshua begin to learn in this chapter that, oh my goodness, God has gone before us. He's gone before us. He's preparing Rahab. And Rahab is doing this incredible favor for us. And man, why would she do this? Why would she risk her life? If the king found out she would die, her whole family would die. Why, why, why would she risk it? Let's look at verse eight in the following verses. It says, before the men laid down, in other words, before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you devoured to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. This is Rahab's confession of faith. This is incredible. She goes up to talk to the guys and what she's doing is she's explaining, hey, we heard how your God saved you from Pharaoh. We heard how your God created all these miracles. You, you passed through the Red Sea. We've heard of all this. We heard how you guys destroyed the city of Og and Sihon. And 40 years ago, you guys were at the River Jordan and we just knew you were gonna come across the river and destroy us. We knew we were done for, but you guys didn't come. We didn't know why. And here you are again. And now you're here, men. Now, I believe that your God is the God of heaven and of earth. So she's believing the promise that God gave to Moses and the Israelite people that that he's going to give them this land. And she is turning from her pagan gods that we know the Canaanites served and worshipped, and she's turning to faith in the one true God. She actually uses the Hebrew personal name for God, Yahweh. She says, you are Yahweh, and you are the God of heaven and of earth. This is her confession of faith. This is Remarkable, a Canaanite prostitute who's worshiping all these other gods is acknowledging Israel's God as the Lord who rules in heaven and on earth. And she's doing far more than just saving her neck here. She's actually confessing her faith in God. He's the one true God worthy of worship and praise and honor. And so what we see here God is searching for her. She's not searching for God. She's not searching for God here. God is searching for her. And Joshua and his men have found her. And as they come into her house, they had no idea that she was going to help them. They had no idea that she was going to bless them. They had no idea that she was going to turn to faith in God. But she does. And why does that happen? Because God goes before the vision goes. God is right now, church, preparing people in our city to hear the gospel. He's preparing the people that you work with. He's preparing the parents of your kids' friends to hear the gospel. There's one thing you can know for certain. They are broken and they are hurting. You may not know how. You, know, you may not know what's going on, but apart from faith in Jesus, they are hurting and broken. And God is preparing them to hear the message, just like he prepared Rahab. Right now, there are, there are families, there are, there are single folks, there are college students, you know, moms and dads, they've, you know, they're awake by now. They're, they're having their coffee at home, you know, a little dreary outside, so they're probably still in their sweatpants, right? And uh, they're drinking their coffee. They're, they're eating some donuts right now. And somewhere between donut number three and donut number four, uh, they start to feel a little guilty. And they're thinking to themselves, man, is this all there is to life? And is this is this really it? And those feelings of guilt and those feelings of shame that the enemy can, uh, controls and, and just really rehearses to them, recites to them over and over again, floods their heart, floods their mind. And you know what they're going to think? Hopefully, they're going to start to think this. You know what? There's somebody at work, fill in the blank. It's your name. He's different. She's different. I wonder why, I wonder why she's always like that. And what's God doing? God's preparing their heart. God's preparing their heart. And what do you do? I'm not talented enough to talk to anybody. Meanwhile, people are desperately hurting and broken. That's why God told Joshua three different times, be courageous, don't be afraid. God has a plan. God has a vision. He's preparing people in advance. It's not about you. It's about God and what he wants to do through you and what he wants to do in this person's life. Be faithful, be faithful. Rahab here is is, is blessing them, but they never could have seen this coming. They never would have envisioned this. Some of you are like, Trent, man, I just, I'm not good enough to do this. I've got sin in my life. I've got issues in my life. Can I just remind you, what Rahab is involved in right now. Like she's a prostitute. I think we could all agree that that's, that's, a, that's frowned upon by God, right? And, and, and so she also lies to the, the king's men here. She's lying. She's a prostitute and she's lying, but God still uses her despite her sins and her faith in God. And she is turning from her past life and she's turning to her new life. This is her repentance she is turning from her old life. She's saying, I can't stay here any longer. I can't stay in this lifestyle. I can't stay with this baggage. I can't stay in this guilt. I can't stay here any longer. And so she turns her life around and she puts her faith in God. Hebrews 12:1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want you guys to look around the room here. Turn and look at the people behind you and beside you and you guys over here, look at these people and yeah, everybody's dressed up today, looking nice today and if somebody's asleep, just kind of elbow them like, dude, I just saw you. See all these witnesses around you? This is a, this is a great cloud of witnesses in this room. Can I just remind you You're not alone, you're not alone raising those kids. You've got a great cloud of witnesses behind you. You're you're not alone trying to serve God. You're you're not alone today. Folks, Folks, you are surrounded by the people of God. And he says, I want you to lay aside every weight, every sin that clings so closely to you. All of that guilt, all of that shame, that, that weight, the sin that you're wrestling with today, he says, I want you to lay it aside. Why? Because you can't run with that weight weighing you down. You can't run the race God is calling you to run today. If all you're doing is worrying about all of this baggage and all of this shame and I can't do it and I don't have courage, God has prepared people in your life and in your past to impact with the gospel, and you've got a race to run. You've got to put that behind you. You've got to lay that beside you so that you can pick up the purposes that God wants you to accomplish in this life. So what does Rahab do next? Well, in verses 12 through uh, the, the end of the chapter, she's basically saying, I want you guys to make a promise to me. I'm gonna help you guys, I'm gonna, I've given you this information, I'm not gonna tell anybody about you but I need you to save me. Look at verse 12. She says, "'Please swear to me by the Lord "'that as I I have dealt kindly with you, "'you also will deal kindly with my father's house "'and give me a sure sign "'that you will save alive my father and mother, "'my brothers and sisters, "'and all who belong to them "'and deliver our lives from death.' "'And the men said to her, "'Our lives for yours, even to death. "'If you do not tell this business of ours, "'then when the Lord gives us the land,' We will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother and your brothers and all your father's household. In other words, listen, we're going to save you. Stay in your house Don't come out when the fighting starts and everybody will be safe. If you come out of your house, hey, it's not on us. You shouldn't have done it. We're telling you, stay in the house. And here's the sign to all the Israelites that we're not going to mess with you. Take this scarlet cord and put it on your window. And if you look at verse 21, it says that after they left, she tied the scarlet cord into the window. Scarlet cord into the window. Why? 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 What is this reminding us of? What, what is the purpose of this whole thing? And, and why is she actually doing this? And, and the answer is because it reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Earlier on, as the Israelites are escaping from slavery, remember how God sends the, the ten plagues, and the very last plague was the death angel. And God said, I want you to sacrifice a lamb, and I want you to paint... Uh, the doorpost of your homes with the blood of that sacrificed lamb. And that will be the sign to the death angel and he will pass by your house and you the firstborn son will not be killed in your family. And so the Israelites all did that and God passed over them and and judged the rest of the city. And, And so from that day forward, they celebrated the Passover because the death angel passed over their house. Now, this lamb, this sacrificial lamb was symbolic representing the one sacrificial lamb that was to come. His name is Jesus. And this scarlet cord is a representation of the blood that will save Rahab. And it's a representation of the blood and the sacrifice that saved me from my sins several years ago, that saved you, hopefully. And for some of you who don't know Jesus, maybe perhaps today you'll finally realize that the blood of Jesus can save you from your sins as well. And so Rahab puts this scarlet cord in the window. That's a simple act, isn't it? Isn't it funny how very small steps of faith equal big blessings? Very small, simple steps of faith equal big blessings. This was a small step of faith. And by the way, her her faith is actually expressed in obedience because she actually does this. You see, our faith is always represented in action. You can't say you have faith and have no action, right? The book of James talks about this. There there has to be action. If you really believe it, if your faith is really in God, then there's actions, there's actions, there's small steps of faith, there's steps of faith. And we see this in Rahab. I I wonder if you have any small steps of faith. Do people look at your life and see that you are a follower of Christ? Is there evidence that you are a person of faith? And, And I would say that there must be, there has to be, if you truly have put your faith and trust in Jesus today. Rahab takes a small step, big blessings, because God saves her whole family. The walls all come tumbling down, we're gonna see it next week, can't wait for this one, except for her, her one small home. Her home is in the wall, everything else is devastated, everyone else dies, except for Rahab and her family. Rahab is putting her faith in that action. She's putting faith into motion here. And I think it's important for us to pause and to look at our own life and to see, do we have any motion, any action, any going behind the faith that we claim today? And are you you a person who's taking any kind of small step? I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying you figured it out. But God's given you a clear path, a clear next step. Are you taking that? For some of you, it's baptism. It's baptism. For some of you, it's serving. For everyone here, it's some step of of faith. It's, It's communicating the gospel with somebody at work. It's investing in their life. It's inviting them to church. God doesn't just want you to be complacent and idle in your faith. He is asking you to demonstrate that faith today. And then look what happens next in the following verses here. In verse 24, They said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Her words, her information is now confidence for Joshua. And this is awesome. When we are are going and we are blessing and we are are loving other people, their testimony and what they experience in their life is going to bless us. And now Joshua, that courage and that boldness is is, is alive and well in his life as a result. The last thing I want you to see today is not only is God going before the vision goes, but God also multiplies the impact of your vision. God multiplies the impact of your vision. He's the multiplier. Small steps of faith, God multiplies, okay? That's how it is. I don't multiply it. I don't juggle it and make it better or greater. I take a really small step of faith and God multiplies. And same for you. And this is what happens in this pagan prostitute's life. No one would have picked her to do and to to impact the Israelite nation in this way. No one would have said, yeah, that's the one. She's got potential. She's living on the outskirts of town. Obviously as a prostitute, she was ostracized from the community. She was shamed in the community, but God blesses her act of faith here and multiplies it in a powerful way. Let me explain how. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew gives the genealogy of Jesus. In other words, his family tree. You remember Matthew, he's a tax collector. He was the guy that everybody shamed. He was the guy that, you know, nobody wanted to be friends with. He was the cheater, the liar. You know, he, he, he was the riffraff kind of guy, right? He comes to faith in Jesus. Jesus saves him. He writes the gospel of Matthew and he lists 42, the 42 dads of Jesus. Now, why is this important? It's important so that we know, based on prophecy, that Jesus was in the line of David, that he is in the line of Abraham. And so he is worthy to be king, okay? And so 42 dads. Matthew also lists four grandmothers of Jesus. Now, for him to list any women in this list would have been countercultural and a huge deal. But why does he choose these four women? Well, sinner, tax collector, ostracized, doesn't fit in. Matthew recognizes that I want people to know that in Jesus's family line, there were some pretty messed up people as well. <laughs> he, he, he had some crazy family members and some crazy stories. Anybody have crazy family members and some stories you could tell this morning? Some quick hands back there, wow, <laughs> like, oh, I got one, <laughs> don't point. The first grandmother he lists is Tamar. You know Tamar's story, I'm not gonna get into it. Go to Genesis chapter 38, very dark, sad story that Tamar went through um, and, and, and she was a grandmother of Jesus. Talks about Ruth in Matthew 1. Ruth wasn't even an Israelite. She was she was just another outcast, you know, loser, so to speak, and, and God grabs her into the family of God and, and then she became a grandmother of Jesus. Remember Bathsheba? Woman David cheated uh, and, and and caused all of these problems, adultery. He you know, David ends up killing her husband, so she's still in mourning over the death of her husband, and now she's shamed by the king, becomes pregnant. I mean, my goodness, she becomes a grandmother of Jesus. And then there's the, a fourth grandmother of Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. Does anybody want to take a guess who this is? Rahab. Rahab. The pagan, prostitute, lying, <laughs> conniving woman. And God takes her faith and her one small step and multiplies it beyond belief and allows her to be a grandmother of the Messiah. You can't, you can't make this stuff up, guys. I mean, think about this. Here here is a prostitute worshiping false gods about to be destroyed by the people of God. But because of God's grace, she turns from her sin. She puts her faith in God. He saves her. And now she's a grandmother of Jesus. Now she's in the family of God. The battle comes her family is saved. She is saved. And Rahab and her family are then adopted into the family of God. I'm a sinner. I'm on the outside of the family of God. Now God has made me a part of the family of God. He's given me a seat at the table. He's given me a seat in the family of God. Man, this is incredible. You see, empty seats matter to God. Look, look around and... Notice some of these empty seats beside you guys. See some of these? Some in the front row here. Usually are in the front row. Empty seats matter to God. It's a serious issue. Because every empty seat represents a person. A person like Rahab. A person who is far from God today. A person who God is calling us to go and to share, invest in, invite, and give them a seat in the family of God. And so as we look around and we see some empty seats here today, it's a big deal. It's a serious matter. And the reality is, I know that there's a lot of people in our city who need Jesus, and so this room is pretty full. There're not a lot of empty seats, and so we build the auditorium next door. Why? to create space for people who don't know Jesus, for people who are not here yet. We've gotta create some empty seats. And then as we are on mission, we bring and fill these empty seats. And our ushers are gonna come forward now and and pass out a a closing reminder today. And and, uh, I I wanna ask you to think about somebody in your life as they come forward. And think about somebody in your life who doesn't know Jesus today. They're far from God. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody that you know serves you coffee at the coffee shop. It's a waitress or somebody in, in in whatever venue you regular. And and I want you to think about them. And I want you to take a sticker and everybody take a marker and I want you to write their name in that empty blank. And what we're going to do today. As a sign and as a visual for us to keep this in mind is we 're going to put a name on there and we 're going to put it on the back of our seat, and it says "This seat belongs to, and you fill in the blank now, I know how church people are, and uh, y'all have a seat that you sit in every week don't you <clears throat> you it may not be the exact seat, but you kind of have an area and and have you ever gone to church and uh, and you come in and somebody's sitting in your seat and, you're, and, you, and your first thought is, dude's in my seat. Man, of you ever said that? My first church, um, you know, was, a, was a, a more traditional church. And um, this, this older lady came in one day and somebody was actually sitting in her seat. And she actually said, she said, you're sitting in my seat. And she made her get up, made her get out of her seat. And I thought, oh my God, we got a long way to go here. But the worst part about it is, it was one of my family members. should <laughs> not even know. Like, come on, we got to do better than this, right? We all kind of have that seat, but I, I want you to know today, the seat that you're sitting in here today, it's not your seat. It's not your seat. I want you to think of your seat as a seat that belongs to somebody else who needs Jesus. And so as you write that name down, put it on the back of your chair as a reminder and as a visual that there are other people just like Rahab that need to be here and they need to hear the gospel. But you guys are doing that, I want to close with a story. And the story kind of starts um, a little over a year ago. I'll start it with my, my brother Todd who was at another church and um, he became friends with a guy by the name of Mark and started to disciple him, started to pour into his life. And, and uh, Mark began to grow in his faith. And, and uh, as a result, he was more on mission in his life. And there was a guy at his uh, work, named Chris. And Chris wasn't going to church anywhere. And he lived in the Louisville area, and so Eventually, Mark said, hey, you should go to this church that, that was just planted out there. It's called Foothills Church. And you should go to it. And he invited him and invited him. And, and uh, finally, he decided, you know what? I'm going to come. I'm going to go with my wife. And, and, and he came. And he came up to me one day, um, his first or second visit. And he was like, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm Chris. And I'm Mark's friend. And we had all been kind of talking. And, and uh, it was at that time that I was getting ready to start a, a new discipleship group of men. And... and um, about a week or two later, I decided, you know, I'm going to give this guy Chris a call and see if he's interested. I don't know. And uh, hey, Chris, man, I know you've only come to my church a couple of times, but um, I'm getting ready to start this Bible study at 6 a.m. in the morning. You interested? <laughs> Expecting a big no. But he said, sure. And so for the next several months, we met in this group and I'm pouring into him and and uh, we're talking about being on mission and, and 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 what it looks like to be on mission. And And then this story happens and he wrote this. And so I thought, instead of me just telling you, I'm just going to read it because he did a really good job explaining it. And so here's what he said. Last fall, I was leading a discipleship group in my office, which oftentimes leads to opportunities for me to be intentional with people around the office who were not in a group. They would often ask questions regarding what we were meeting about or what we were studying. And my friend Amy was one of those inquisitive people. I could tell early on that she was willing to share and listen, but I couldn't tell if she was a Christian. So one day I invited her to Foothills and she agreed to come and seemed to be excited about the invite. So I took a step of faith and I asked her about her beliefs and she told me that she was not a follower of Christian. She was not a follower of Christ, sorry. She grew up around other Christians and had been to church before, but had never truly accepted Christ and chosen to follow him. Amy ended up coming to church with my family and And uh, I, and and the next Sunday, and then the next Sunday after that, and the next Sunday after that. And I took her willingness to come each week as an opportunity to continue to share with her. So I would ask, always ask her each week if she had any questions about the sermon from the week before, and would email her stories from the Bible or really anything I could to keep her, uh, to, to help her think and talk about what it looks like to follow Christ. She even got involved in a women's Bible study group that had formed at work. And soon after, she started to get more inquisitive about salvation and baptism, so I could tell that she was seeking Christ. Late last year, the church decided to have a Wednesday morning prayer service for a few weeks at 6 a.m. We did that last January. When the first week of prayer service rolled around, Amy asked me if I was going, and I said yes. And so the next morning, we met at church at 6 a.m., and we worshiped together. We broke out into a time of prayer for about 30 minutes, and Everyone in attendance had spread out across the worship center. I was in the very last row and Amy was in the first row. I can remember praying as hard as I possibly could for Amy to be willing to surrender her life to Jesus. After those 30 minutes was up, James and the band came back to play one final song and Trent opened the altar up to anyone who needed it. I can remember sitting in the back row asking God to give me the boldness and the courage to go to Amy. And then suddenly I stood up. I knew at that point, I had committed to follow through with this. So I walked to the front where Amy was sitting and she was in tears. I remember sitting down beside her and saying, are you ready to follow Jesus? And she shook her head yes. We both knelt down together and she made the decision to follow Christ that morning. Since that time, she was, she's joined a small group. She still attends foothills. And about a month ago, she was baptized. As excited as I was that God let me be a part of this amazing moment in her life, I'm even more excited about what he has in store for her. Amy has an infectious personality that's going to be a blessing to a lot of people as she continues to learn how to use the gifts that God has given to her. Guys, can you show that picture of Amy? This is her getting baptized just a few weeks ago. Can we praise God for what happened in Amy's life? Absolutely. Can we get excited about that church? You don't know who God is preparing. He goes before the vision. He multiplies that vision. He multiplies your efforts. He's calling you to go. He's calling us as a church to move forward. We're creating empty seats. These empty seats matter to God because they represent lives that are far from God, that need God, and so... As a church, I'm asking you to serve. I'm asking you to get behind this vision. I don't care if you've been here for one or two weeks or if you've been here for one or two years or eight years from the very beginning. I don't care. It's time to get behind this together, serve together and give together so that we can see more people like Amy come to faith in Christ and see her life transformed. You see the domino effects as, as Todd invests and then Mark invests and then I'm investing and then Chris begins to invest and, and now lives are being transformed. And just imagine with me for a minute that you got serious about this vision and you started to pour into someone just taking a little step of faith. Just taking a little step of faith. Just taking a little step of faith, step of faith and God blesses and God multiplies. You see, that's what we're seeing all over this church and That's what I want to continue to see. That's what we will continue to see if you guys press into this vision of making disciples. These seats, they don't belong to you. They don't belong to me. We're going to create a whole lot of new seats so that people who are far from God can come and experience the power of the gospel. Let's pray for these folks today. Would you join me? Lord Jesus, God, we are In all of your grace and love today, I'm in awe of the story of Rahab. That that you would would bless this woman and her faith in such a way that she would actually be a grandmother of Jesus. How you multiply her faith is unbelievable. I absolutely love it. it. It gives me hope that you can use a sinner like me. You can use other people in this room who feel like they're just not good enough. But you, God, are a God of miracles and love. And so, Lord, we want to praise you for that. And we want to lift up all of these names that have been written all over this room. These empty seats represent these people that need to hear the gospel. And so today we're, we're trusting in your providence, God. We're asking you to save these people. We're asking you to give us opportunities, God, to minister to them and to love them and to invest in their life, to share the gospel with them and to invite them to church. And Lord, we're praying even right now, they might be really, really far from you, but we trust that you're working in their life. Would you extend your grace to them, save them, convict them today and draw them in a relationship with you. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for this church. May we continue to pursue you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.